neighbors. And I couldn't find a South African context uh, to, to suit it, but how many, could you throw out a percentage, do you think, how many of us uh, in South Africa know their neighbors? You want to throw out a percentage here? I think East London's a bit different to Big City, but give us uh, some ballpark figures. What do you think? 70% would know their neighbors, eh? Would you say that would be really well on just like a, hi there, nice to see you kind of uh, uh, platform. What do you think? Like a really, hi there, yeah, 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 good. Um, you're trying to avoid the awkwardness of not saying anything, but then also you want to avoid the awkwardness of saying anything that would lead to more, right? Yes. So um, this morning, I want us to open up to our Bibles because Jesus loved to use this word neighbor, and it's in Matthew chapter 22, verse 34 to 40, and uh, I'll say it again. It's Matthew chapter 22, verse 34 to 40, and um, I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version this morning. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, this guy was a clever guy, he knew the law, right? <laughs> he goes, he asks Jesus a question to test him. He says, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? In other words, if there's one that we have to focus on, what is the thing that uh, we need to give our attention to? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Ah, oh, he's not finished yet. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he says something profound here. Not on one. He says, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And so this morning, I want to say to you today, I want to open up with a question and say, SBC, do you believe that God has put you where you are in your life right now? Do you believe that? In other words, God is in control over everything in your life, where you work, where you stay, and where you play. So if you believe that, I want to ask you the question, do you believe your neighbors are handpicked by God for you? In other words, God could have chosen anybody to stay around you. Some of you are laughing here. Some of you are going, God, please, new neighbors, please. <laughs> I want to say, I want to flip that around. He's saying that God has got such a confidence in what the gospel has done in you and the power of the Spirit in your life that the very people He's put around you are the people that He says are oh, just for you, Ali, just for you. Where you stay, where you work, where you play, and uh, is, is, is handpicked by God, my friend. And what I love about this word neighbor is it's so down to earth, Right? I tell you what, sometimes I will read scripture or maybe listen to a message and I'll walk away going, oh, that was so challenging. But when Jesus says, love your neighbor, I kind of feel like that's a bit more doable, right? I grew up in the 80s and, um, well, that's a nonsense, Matthew. I was born in the 80s. By the way, happy Mother's Day, everybody. Uh, well, not everybody, to you moms. This is getting increasingly awkward. Uh, if it wasn't for you, we wouldn't be here. So well done for being uh, great mothers. But um, I was born in, in 1985, and it was the, the whole surge of, you know, the songs like, change the world, make it a better place. Do you remember that song? For you and for me and the entire, who the heck could do that? For me and for you and the entire human race, there are people dying. If you care enough for the living, I was like, I'm just me here in South Africa. 
down in little old uh, Eastern Cape. But when Jesus says, love your neighbor, I can buy into that. Some of us here are introverts, right? The thought of being overwhelmed by enormous crowds or having to love a bunch of people freak you out. I hear the introverts in the room, you won't do it anyway because you don't want to be seen. <laughs> the extroverts, the introvert, it does not matter. For me, when you talk about loving your neighbor, and today we're wanting to spur each other on into our geographical next-door neighbors and those where we work, live, and play, it's, it's attainable. It's an easy place to start. In other words, it's enjoying where God has put you. I tell you, I, the more I think about it, the more I, I'm in for that. I, I don't know if I could be like one of our, our sisters in Libya who is um, experiencing incredibly difficult times, and I can be a good neighbor. And it means being proximate. It means whoever's next to you, what, what, where do you want to start in loving out today? Well, it's so simple. It's the people closest to you. It's so practical. You know, you can talk about loving the world, but when you start talking about loving your neighbor, there's a face, <laughs> there's a name, there is a stage of life, there's a context, not so? And also, it calls for authenticity. What I love about it, when Jesus says we are to love our neighbor, it means that we aren't to be these bunch of weirdos that, that collect us kind of uh, in a, a weird way under these steeples and never really uh, have any relevance or contact or, in a sense, uh, uh, um, for other people to look at us and go, I get you. You're normal in some ways. <laughs> in some ways, I would say. Not always. It's so down to earth. It's, it's, we aren't sort of weird people that are kind of hoveled in our little huddles and uh, unable to engage with the world. No, Jesus says we are to love our neighbor, and that means we're supposed to be relevant, practically. And might I say to you, we've just preached on a series on loving in, and it was very challenging, of getting our hearts to go, how much do we love our brothers and sisters in Christ? But I want to point out to you, Jesus says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, is um, that you love one another as I have loved you, but you don't make disciples that way. In other words, the world looks in and says, well, there's something special about John and Lazelle and the way that they live and they love. Their fellow Christians... That's compelling, and that is intriguing. But my friends, unless we are outwardly loving, you don't make new disciples that way. Is we can be commended for our love internally, but absent in our love externally. And so I want to say to you today, when Jesus is to love your neighbor, it is a clarion call to his people to say, we are an outward-looking faith. We are unashamedly wanting to invite people into the joy of knowing Jesus that we experience. Amen? We are wanting to be a people that introduce our neighbors to this incredible Savior called Jesus Christ, who has changed our lives. And can I point out to you this morning, we have such an opportunity to do it. Did you know in this day and age... I stand to be corrected, but I don't know of a day and age when there ever has been such a prevalence of loneliness in the world. You know, I want to use an example. I mean, they normally have the most stats, but here you have America, the richest country in the world. They have the most stuff. And studies are showing that a half to three quarters, depending on which one you do, a half to three quarters of Americans feel lonely. 
In other words, they have so much stuff, but they have so little relation. In other words, they have so much stuff, yet feel so unloved. I want to give you some more stats this morning. Do you know that loneliness increases your risk of early mortality by 26%? You know what that's equivalent to? Smoking 15 cigarettes a day. We live in a day and age when the whole world seems to be moving around. The numbers of strangers coming into our neighborhoods, that lady there who was from a different country, is becoming a normal case. And the number of people coming into our neighborhoods, into our direct contact, who are needing friends, needing love, who needing a sense of, of a new community is the highest it has ever been in the history of mankind. And so can I say today, when we talk about God calling us to know our neighbor, it is an opportunity like never before to start loving people whom God, God has sovereignly designed that in your place of work, play, worship, where you stay, He's handpicked them for you already. And I want to open up with a guy I'm going to quote more than once this morning whose work has really been remarkable in this topic of loving your neighbor. is John Piper. And he says this. Essentially what we mean by loving out, in the sense of loving our neighbors, is, listen to this, I tear the skin off my body and wrap it around another person so that I feel I am that other person. The longings I have for my own safety and health and success and happiness, I now feel for that other person as though they were me. Now, I want to open up with these two commands to stir our hearts as to why it's so important that we prioritize knowing our neighbors this morning. And I want to land on some fun things that we can do and some challenges for us this week. Uh, But uh, I want to point out to you the significance this morning of how these two love commands play out in our hearts towards those around us. Because remember, Jesus was asked for one. And he gives, oh, come on, AIDS, I need to know you're alive here. By the way, I only have seven pages to my, eight pages to my sermon. I'm almost halfway there. (laughs) Is can I say to you, the reason why Jesus gives two commands is he says, if you want to know you're growing in your love for God, is you'll see it in your love for people. In other words, if you're taking on a greater measure of God in your life, you're taking on a greater measure of His love, which I tell you is for people that are very different to Himself. And essentially, Jesus says, if you want to love God, you will be called to love your neighbor. The two are inseparable. You cannot, and that's what we tend to do. I know I do. I tend to go, I'm so focused on loving up. Yes. Keep quiet, Elijah. Sarah. 
stop interrupting me. My wife got home last night after a 12-hour shift. And the first thing I said, just give me 10 minutes because I had just put the kids down. And I have to go prepare a sermon. I have to go make, be all holy. And I'm sitting there before God. Oh, Lord, I really want to love you. I was like, I haven't even loved my family that well. But it's good. It's not a heavy. It's understanding that the way I know I am growing in my relationship with Jesus is how large my heart is getting towards those around me. Amen? That's it. You don't have to feel condemned. We feel spurred on to go, God, there is more for me in this life to taste and see in you because I can see there's more in this life that those around me get to taste and see of you in me. And I need to know that today, this command to love God is an invitation into one of the most exciting adventures of obedience, of loving those around me. It will lead you to places you never thought you would go, like the next door, <laughs> like the next office block, whose person that you've never had a cup of coffee with. It will, it will lead you to do things you never thought possible. But today, I want to say to you, unless there is a follow-through of loving our neighbor, the first command is impossible. Because God says, if you want to love me, then show me by loving your neighbor. That's the awesome thing of it. Is this is a matter of worship. This is a matter of starting of going, God is saying, I want you to love me, but do it by loving those around you. And so essentially, he says, these commands come hand in hand. And that is why he says, if you read your your Bible carefully, it says the second command is like the first. Because the second is an expression of the first. You with me? Is we express our love for God through our love for our neighbors. Now, the point I'm making is a truly spiritual person is a person whose love for God translates into a love for people. If you want to do well in loving God, then do well in loving others. And I, ask, I say, when you test the first one with the second, here's a few things that come up. If you test your love for God by looking at your love for others, the first thing you will realize is this. Will anything test your love for God more than your attempt to love people of all shapes and sizes, everywhere, at all times? Will your obedience to Jesus be tested more in any other context than your call to love? No matter who God puts in front of you, shape or size, context, it will call you to test the level that you're willing to forgive, the, willing, that you're willing, the, the level of which you're willing, willing to bear with, to serve, to be generous to. The thing that will test your love for God is when you start loving people. That's the point. The other thing is this is, why else would you really want to love people except out of a desire to please God? I mean, it's the craziest thing. Let's just think about that for a moment. What would make me love Pitskit? Is that a swear word in Afrikaans? It's not, eh? It's not, he always uses it, so I'm using an elder uses it. Mariki, is it right? Afrikaans teacher. It's fine. Pitskit's fine, eh? Wonderful. Okay. All right. Skitpit. Is it Skitpit? Oh, okay. I thought it was, um, okay. So it's fine. So what, is it pit skit or skit pit? 
Is it skid pit? I'm looking to the Afrikaans teacher. <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> Why else can I say, as Christians, would we ever bother loving people different and difficult? Well, we think we're always also easy, don't we? I mean, I'm sure there are a number of people in our lives think that we give them a lot of hell. But the bottom line is this. It's because we love God. The motivation to love those around you is determined by how far you want to go in your love for God. Amen? That's the point here. Is Jesus points out that our natural tendency is to love ourselves. He says, love your neighbor as you love your... You see, he takes for granted that by nature of our birth, we are interested in our own well-being. But this love for God is the motivation for which we go and into areas and contexts and we persevere in things that we would check out long ago if we did not love God. And essentially this is the way that you know God has gripped your heart is how far you're willing to go with people. That's the point. Because has God not loved us this way? Have we not given God a hard time? <laughs> Has he not loved people of all shapes and sizes? How much has he forgiven? How much has he served? How much has he given us? How much has he borne with? The second command is, is touching on an expression of who God is himself. And Jesus says this, is that if you really want to summarize the whole point of this book, the whole purpose of why the Bible was inspired is so that God could get us to love him and love each other. It says, on this hangs all the law and the prophets. On these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. The reason why this book exists is so that God can get us to love him and to love each other. And all of God's acts in history, his purpose, his plans, everything he is doing hangs on these two commands that we would learn to love him and to love each other. So, I want to move on as to why there are two. The first point I made is they are inseparable. You cannot do the one without the other. The second is this is there is a priority. The priority is this is you are to love somebody more than somebody else. The first is you are to love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. And then there is the second, which is you are to love your neighbor as you love yourself. There is a priority of how we orientate our love in our lives. At the beginning of last year, remember we spoke a lot about coming back to our first love, right? Is that when you look at who you're going to choose, when there is conflict, if one love compromises the other, which are you going to choose? Is it going to be your love for God, or are you going to put that aside for your love for the person? What is it going to be when you have to make a decision where you want to, in some way, love one of the two more than the other? Well, can I say to us this morning, 8 o'clock, our love for people can lead us to betray our love for God. There is a danger when talking about loving our neighbors that I can paint a context from Scripture where it sounds like everybody's going to love us and everybody's going to applaud us, everybody's going to make us feel so good about ourselves. 
But I want to say to you today, this love has context because it is being driven by a first love that shapes the second, which is God first. We are never to love anyone more than God. We're never to seek to love anybody, sorry, more than God. The way it works is we seek to love everyone because we love God. That's how it works. It's not that we are never to love anyone more than God. Oh, I'm sorry. This is clearly a higher grade for 8 o'clock in the morning. Let me start again. Bottom line is this. is Do you not hear the excuses on movies, in literature, even in the church? I did it because I love him. Or I did it because I love her. There is an excuse for sinfulness and decision-making around our pursuit in loving people that can compromise our love for God. Can I say this? You serve your neighbor best when you love God the most. Is in your life, you are the greatest blessing to the people around you when you are the greatest blessing to God. And my friend, I want you to just slip that in here this morning is that if there's anybody here who is excusing a love of another relationship that is compromising a loving obedience to God, might I say to you today, your greatest blessing to the person in your life is to love God first. Is to not go along with the trajectory of the world, but to say to them, there is a better way, and I'm calling you to it. His name is Jesus. But this living a life of love and this living a life of worship where we are allied to God first, that's what clarifies our way of loving our neighbor, is it does lead to a paradoxical life. It does lead to the Christian experiencing great joy. I tell you what, I have discovered in my life that when you actively seek to love people, it helps you to think about yourself a lot less. And it leads to a joy and satisfaction and, and an enrichment of relationships that was absent before that. But I do say this. Because this love is a matter of worship, it does lead to suffering. Can I say to you this morning, I made my first point that if, has your love for God led you to love others? That's the first. Second point is this. Is has your love for God led you to experience rejection from others because it will do both. You see, as Christians, in the way we love our neighbor is we say yes to what God says yes to. And if the world says yes to that too, that's wonderful. But if God says no to it, we say no to it. And that's what introduces the tension. You might think that the life of love is unicorns and rainbows. There's an aspect of great joy, but there's this other side of integrity before God that loving our neighbor calls to because we love him. And so there are times when we say no, and there are times when we say yes. Almost there. So the first point is, is that loving others is a sign of our love for God. The second is this, is loving God first defines the way we love others, and it is the best way. The third is this, is I'm aware today, 
as I'm talking to all of us here to love our neighbors, that all of you are going, how on earth am I going to love my neighbors when I don't have enough time to love myself? If you really think about what it means to put your neighbors first in the context of the 21st century, no matter what your context is, the more I talk to you and the more you talk to me, there's pressure, right? There are a lot of things weighing on our lives. And, and this is the problem. This is the problem that we can feel is when we, t- we ask to love our neighbor as ourselves. In other words, we seek their well-being as much as our own. That's the point of what Jesus is saying, is that it feels threatening to our own happiness. Because essentially, if you read between the lines of what Jesus is saying, he's saying, your life has to be caught up in the well-being of others. And the natural question is going, what about me? Do I not get any say in my own happiness? I enjoy cycling. I enjoy running. I enjoy baking. I enjoy eating. I enjoy brying. I enjoy caring. Does my whole life have to be a sacrificial death and a, 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 a letting go of my own happiness? And in a sense, I believe that's what our resting through this command must lead us to, that question. is because essentially, the second command is a massive ask. It's asking of us to radically reorientate our entire lives so that when Nicole is in the office, the first thing she thinks of is, how is so-and-so? How can I be a blessing? How can I love this person as though they were me? That's the point of the golden rule. And can I point out to you, we are to feel this because we need supernatural help to do it. In Romans chapter 8, verse 3 to 4, God says, For God, Paul says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Remember what the law, Jesus is saying here, the purpose of the law was to lead to love. To love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor. It wasn't the heart of as far, but it was pointing us in that direction. Is that the whole thing, if you really boiled it down to what the point of the Bible was, was that it would lead to love. But the law was weakened by the flesh. It could not do it. We could not love the way God called us to under the law in the power of our own flesh. But by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And the righteous requirements of the law is love. In Romans chapter 13, it talks about the law, fulfill, the love fulfills the law. And the purpose of this walking by the Spirit ultimately is to lead us into a, an atmosphere and a spirit of love in our lives. That's the point. But what Paul is saying here is you need supernatural help. You need to do it according to the Spirit because by nature, this thing is something that is impossible. And in a sense, he's saying, your natural resources you cannot draw from. You will burn out. You will experience the nervous breakdown. You will experience what it means to be caught with the grip of anxiety of, have I done enough for my fellow man? Am I doing enough? You will be gripped by a sense of total despondency and despair. Because in ourselves, we're not able to love at this level. Ah, so why is there a first command before the second? It's because we need the first command to fulfill the second. 
is if God is saying to us, we are to love him with all of our hearts, soul, mind, and in Mark's, uh, in Mark's vision, and strength. What God is saying is, you find your source, your power, and your satisfaction in me. What you will find is the more you tap into this loving up of Christ, this enjoying what it means to be a Christian and coming into his presence daily, feasting on him, drinking of him, delighting in him, experiencing what it means to be satisfied with him, you will experience a fountain in your life that will not run dry. Why? Maybe I should read it to you in the words of John Piper. He says, Love God with all your heart means finding God a satisfaction so profound that it fills up all your heart. Love God with all your soul means finding God a meaning so rich and so deep that it fills up all the aching corners of your soul. Love God with all your mind means finding God the riches of knowledge and insight and wisdom that guide and satisfy all that the human mind was meant to be. In other words, take all your self-love, all your longing for joy and hope and love and security and fulfillment and significance. Take all that and focus it on God until he satisfies your heart and soul and mind. What you will find is that this is not a canceling out of self-love. This is a fulfillment and transformation of self-love. Self-love is the desire for life and satisfaction rather than the frustration and death. Rather than frustration and death. God says, come to me and I will give you fullness of joy. I will satisfy your heart and soul and mind with my glory. This is the first and great commandment. And with that great discovery that God is the never-ending fountain of our joy, the way we love others is forever changed. Now when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, we don't respond by saying, oh, this is threatening. This means my love for myself is made impossible by all the claims of my neighbor. I could never do this. Instead, we say, oh, yes, I love myself. I have longings for joy and satisfaction and fulfillment and significance and security. But God has called me. Indeed, he has commanded me to come to him first for all these things. He commands that my love for him be the form of my love for me. That all my longings for me, I find in him. Does that make sense to you this morning? That all my longings for me, I find in him. Wow. That is what my self-love is now. It is my love for God. They have become one. My quest for happiness is now nothing other than a quest for God. And he has been found in Jesus Christ. So today, how are we to love our neighbor? We are to find this incredible source of life in Jesus. That satisfies us. That enables us in a daily, practical, personal way to give ourselves out of the fullness that we have in Christ 
to the well-being and love of others. From this place of being full in Christ, the well never runs dry, nor the motivation. Did you hear me in that? From this place, the well never runs dry in Christ, nor the motivation. Is out of our desire to love God, we love our neighbor. And the measure of our love for our neighbor, we get encouraged to love God. Out of our source of God, we pour out our lives from this never-ending source for the love and blessing of others. And so, how can you know your neighbor? This is the challenge. If you don't hear anything else, just know this. Is that to order to know your neighbor, try getting outside. Yesterday, I took my two kids out. I met two of my neighbors and had a long conversation. How can we practically get to know a neighbor? Get outside. Meet a need. If you see that their grass needs cutting, or you see that their gate needs mending. <clears throat> How long is our grass? I'm just wondering uh, who lives close by. Meet a need. Some of us are more handy than others, but if you see maybe that they've just had a baby or maybe there's, just, there's some context, step in and meet a need. Third, show random acts of kindness. My, my mom's neighbor one day just decided to drop off a chicken pie. It was the most wonderful thing. Look for the for sale signs, and when they're taken off, who's new in the neighborhood? Who needs to find some friends in the street? Invite people for a meal. Over the next two or three weeks, we're going to be looking at hospitality, how to be missional in our thinking and having conversations around Christ. But invite guys, the most powerful tool you have for the kingdom, my friend, is your dinner table. Leverage your kids. Make no excuse of it. Elijah is one of my best tools. He's so cute. Oh, what's your name? Hi, I'm Matt. Yes. Leverage your dogs if you don't have kids. When you take them for walks and they want to sniff each other's parts. You go, hello, my name is uh, so-and-so. What's your name? Think this week about how you can maybe plan an event the next month. If you, for those of you the extroverts in the room, <laughs> friends of mine uh, said they're going to run a street party. I'm, I'm waiting for it to happen because I live in the same street. <laughs> Invite friends to events. If you've got a, a connection with them, lots of our events are very, very uh, seeker-friendly. But today, church... You've got to believe God has put you where you are because he's handpicked the neighbors just for you. And I want to encourage you today, this is the opportunity, like never before, to make friends with our neighbors and to introduce them to the joy of knowing Jesus. Pray for them. Remember that they are not staying next door to you for nothing. Amen? Great. It's only quarter past nine. Got to watch. <laughs> All right, let's pray. I just have a sense this morning as Lawrence was praying before the service, there might be somebody here who doesn't know Christ yet. And we want to be a blessing to you this morning, my friend. Do you know what the greatest command does? This command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, with all your strength, that makes us all sinners. There's not a single person here who can measure up to that. And so if you're here this morning wanting to know if you're right with God, I want to say 
If you don't know Jesus, it's impossible to be right with him because you cannot meet that command. It makes us the greatest sinners on planet earth. And today, the grace of God for you, if that's you this morning, is to realize you can never be good enough. (laughs) If that's you this morning, I want to invite you to know Jesus because there was one person on earth who did keep that command. His name is Jesus Christ, and he kept it for you. He kept it that you might experience the blessing of forgiveness of sin, a clear conscience and a new start in God. And I want to remind us all here, we are here because of grace. We're here because Christ kept this command for us. And so, if you want to know Jesus this morning, I want to help you pray to him. Would you say to him, Jesus, there's no ways I've ever kept this command. I'm not fighting you on it. I'm not trying to prove otherwise. I need you to rescue me from my sin. I believe what you did for me on the cross and in your resurrection was for me. And I wanted to speak for me today. I put my faith in you. I turn away from my sin. Would you help me live for you now? In Jesus' name. That's you. I just invite you to come after the service for the rest of us. Lord, bless us this week. Help us love our neighbors well. Give us golden opportunities, we pray, as we go from this place in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.